My name is, um, like I said, Jonathan, and I, um, I've been in Huron now for um, six years, start, just started my seventh, and I'm loving it. I've been downstairs um, for the past couple months hanging out in the kids' center, spending a lot of time with our children and developing some systems to develop leaders, equip leaders for ministry and how we can do uh, Kidman better, and uh, it's, uh, it's exciting. It's an exciting time in Kidman. So if, um, just want to remind parents, if, if um, you came in maybe a little bit late and you haven't heard, uh, kids are dismissed for service, so feel free to send them down if you desire to do so. Our nursery is available as well. Um, <clears throat> you know, I was, uh, there's so many ways you can start this message. We're going to be talking about Job and it's a very familiar uh, passage to all of us, but I wanted to just kind of walk you through um, uh, three years ago, four years ago now, um, next month, October 13th, um, Heather and I had a baby that was born uh, prematurely, two months prematurely with uh, lung problems. The baby's name was Judah, and Judah lived for three days. He was on full life support. We got the call in the middle of the night, and they said, hey, come, come and... Um, come say goodbye to your son, he's, he's dying. And so one of his lungs was a partial lung, the other lung was just basically flesh, it was just tissue. And so um, it was, uh, we went into the room and of course he's there and um, he's just, he's on full life support so they're pumping oxygen into his body and, and, uh, and you know, I remember just, I'd been fasting for, for days, you know, just asking God to intervene, to God do something, bring healing to, to Judah. And I know many of you guys had, people were praying all over the world. I, I got messages from people, hey, I heard about your story, I'm praying for you. And, um, and in that moment, um, they, they, they were asking us, you know, should we, do we need to do CPR? What do we need to do? I'm just like, well, do whatever you can do um, to, try to try to help Judah. And um, they were giving him CPR, nothing was helping, and uh, they handed Judah to Heather um, as, you know, they basically took all the tubes out, and um, he's there, and he's, 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 um, he's trying to survive, and, he, is, and he's, he can't because he doesn't have lungs, and so you can just hear him kind of gasping, a little, little, tiny, little tiny lungs just gasping for air. And I remember in that moment just, just so much pain, you know? There was a whole lot of pain. It's like everything that I was doing, I was trying, you know, I was trying to do everything right. And um, in the end, Judah dies. And it felt like God was far away. It felt like, God, where are you, God? I believe I'm in the right church. I mean, I have the right theology. I have, I'm practicing, I'm fasting, I'm praying, I'm praising. What do you want me to do? And there's so much pain in that moment. 
And uh, I just remember Heather and I were sitting in that chair, you know, holding Judah, and the Spirit of God came on us, and we were, we were in so much pain, but the Spirit of God literally descended on us, and we just started singing. We started singing 10,000 reasons. There's, we'll have 10,000 more reasons to sing of your goodness. Until you're, until you're going through that valley and that storm, it's just a story, you know? I wish I could say that I'd prayed for a thousand babies before that moment. I wish I could say I prayed for a thousand resurrections before that moment. But when you go through that storm, it becomes the first time, for me, it, it became the first time that I really went after something impossible. And and since then, I, I have gone after a thousand babies. I have gone after resurrections, and I'm going after it. The enemy wanted me to question God. He wanted me to blame God. And um, God's okay with our questions, but God, God, um, and God's okay with us venting to a point. But there comes a point where we actually have to take those questions, take that disappointment and actually set them aside until we get the answer later. We can't, let, we can't let those questions or that offense cripple us in our relationship with the Lord that until I get that answered, I'm not gonna move forward. Until I, until I have understanding, I'm not gonna move forward. Let me say a bold statement that God, God, is, God is working for your well-being right now. If you were created by God and every person was, if you, were, if, you are, if, you have lung, if you have air in your lungs and you're alive, God has an incredible plan for your future. And his plans are so good. His plans are so, so right on and spot on that if there were a heaven, if, if there were not a heaven and if there were not a hell, if, the, if those two didn't exist, God would still be worth following every day on this planet. He's working for your well-being. And, and in those moments of deep sorrow and deep pain, it doesn't feel like it. And Job, we're going to talk, the story today is about Job, and we're going to read a lot of text because the whole book of Job is basically a journal. It just kind of lays out how, how Job felt about the Lord, about how he felt about himself, about the scenario he was in. And it leaves questions in our hearts that we have to wrestle with. But when I, when I talk about God more, knows more than I do, what I'm talking about is we are in valleys. There's going to be hurt. There's going to be pain. And in that pain, we can't, we can't go down the road of becoming offended towards God. Because we, we need an answer. We don't have the answer. We want it, but we don't have it. Don't go down that road and get offended towards God. Because what it does is it puts a distrust in your heart towards God's well-being towards you. We start thinking, well, God isn't towards my well-being. He just wants me to be in pain and sorrow and sadness. But God is actually for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? So we've got to keep in mind that God's, God sees right now God is a billion years from today. And God is a billion years ago. Our brain can't even wrap around that concept, but God is. He's beginning and end, and if God can see billions and billions of years in context in great detail, we've got to keep in mind that every decision, everything that he allows, every, every single aspect about your life, God is working for your well-being. We see from the context of about a weekend, 
or about a month, right? And we're like, God, man, I'm, I'm, I'm sick. God, get, me, get this migraine out of my life, you know, a few hours. And you're like, God, where are you? God's like, well, I got a billion years here, and I'm, I, I see you, and I know this moment. I know you're calling out to me, but so we got to keep in mind God sees from an, an eternal perspective constantly. And, um, uh, and where to bring God glory in, in the process. So I, I just want to remind you, the last thing I want to say before we get going is uh, Romans chapter 20, or sorry, not Romans, but Revelations chapter 20, verse 10. Um, this is the end of the story. Everything, when everything kind of just, it, it's over here, this is the end of the story. It says that, then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Every injustice that's on your life right now, whatever you're going through, whether it's the loss of a loved one, whether it's sickness, a bad report, whether it's depression, anxiety, addictions, whatever it is, there's an injustice against you. If you hold the name of God on your life, if you're an image bearer of God and something's trying to attack you, it's an injustice, but don't worry, because we have the end of the story. The devil will be tormented for every single thing that he's doing to you and to your family. Every single one of them, God will deal with him. It's from an eternity perspective. We just keep that in mind. So we're going to talk about Job. He had a lot of questions in his life, but let's just go ahead and get started. Job chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. I, I have a lot of passages today because we're just going to cover a lot of Job, the book of Job. Um, and uh, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, the Bible that's in front of you. Um, we're going to be going fast, so feel free to read from your pew, but I, I did put most of them on the screen. So Job 1, verse 1 says, In the land of Uz there lived a man whose name was Job, and this man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 uh, 7, sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. And he was the greatest man among the people of the East. And then, uh, in the book of Job, it has kind of a dialogue of what's happening in heaven at the same time. Job's on the planet, okay? And right now, so let's read verse uh, 6. It says, One day, the members of the heavenly court, or the angels, came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. And Satan replied to him, Yes, Lord, but Job has a good reason to fear you. You've always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property, and you made him prosper in everything he does. And look how rich he is, but reach out and take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. Satan gets the permission and he's coming down to earth. Comes down to earth, and one day when Job's sons were uh, feasting at the older brother's house, a messenger arrived at Job's home with, it, with this news. Your oxen were plowing with the donkeys feeding beside them, and when the Sabians raided us, they stole all the animals and killed all the farmlands. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and, and burned up your sheep and all the shepherds, and I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. 
While he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived with the news. Three bands of Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels and killed your servants. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's homes, and suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness, hit the house on all sides, and the house collapsed, and all your children are dead. I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. So what's the devil's strategy here? He's trying to get Job. Job is a blameless man. He's upright. He honors God. He's trying to get Job to to question God, to doubt God. Ultimately, he wants Job to blame God, and, and he wants him to renounce God. The enemy is so, so crude, so, so evil, that he, he actually takes a delight in our suffering, in our sadness. He takes delight in the fact that you cry, that you don't know how to fight that depression, you don't know how to fight that anxiety, or how to fight those addictions that you're trying to kick, you've tried everything, but you just can't kick them. The enemy actually delights in the fact that you're not finding breakthrough. He delights in the fact that when Judah was taken, when, when his life was, was ended, he, he delights in that suffering. Job wanted, the devil wanted Job to suffer. He wanted him to blame God. In Job chapter 1, verse 4, it says that his sons, Job's sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite the three sisters to eat and drink with them. When the period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. So imagine this. You know, all of, all of your, your, your livestock, you have thousands of livestock. They're killed in a moment. In the, within the same moment, fire from heaven falls, burns things up. People raid them. Then all of a sudden, you know, the thing that you've been, you've been praying every single time for years and years and years on their birthdays probably is, God, please forgive my kids for any sin that, they, that they've committed. Please don't, don't hurt them. This is Job's perspective of God. And all of a sudden, he gets news that his kids are dead. And in verse, uh, in the chapter 3 of Job, Job writes these words. He says, what I've always feared has happened to me. What I dreaded has come true. I have no peace, no quietness, I have no rest, only trouble comes. Job writes this about God. He says, you know what your real motive is, your true intent? It was to watch me, and if I sinned, you would not forgive my guilt. Job is so broken and so hurt that at first, he starts off right. Let's, let's actually read what he says initially when he gets the report of everything that was taken, the things that were taken, his family um, dying, and then also the second time was his, his physical body became sick. This is what Job said. He said, Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. So this is after he gets the news. He shaved his head and fell to the ground to curse God. No, it says that he fell down to the ground to actually begin to worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb and I'll be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. And later, after Job's wife saw him so miserable, praising God from the ashes, remember Job was cutting cut, or scratching those boils with broken pottery, 
His wife sees him and is like, are you serious? And that's what she says. He says, that, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. But Job replied, you, you talk like a foolish woman. Should we only accept good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all this, Job said nothing wrong. For almost 35 chapters of, of Job, uh, Job and his three friends are dialoguing back and forth, trying to figure out basically who's to blame for all of these bad circumstances. Job writes in chapter 9, he says, For he detacks me with a storm and repeatedly wounds me without cause. He will not let me catch my breath, but fills me instead with bitter sorrows. And um, so, so Job, Job is expressing what's in his heart. He's hurt. He's disappointed. He's tried to do everything right. And he's, he's writing these things because he's, he's, he's broken. How do you think the enemy feels when he sees this is the reality, this is the outcome. The enemy, this is his goal. He is trying to, the only reason, the only reason why he's following you is because you put a wall of protection around him. That's what, he, that's what he told God. Remove it all and he's for sure going to curse you. Job didn't curse God, but he's beginning to question. He's beginning to doubt. He's beginning to even, there's a, there's a hint here of blame. And it's starting to shift. And, and I, I see this in all of us. I remember when we were at the hospital and started with the questions. You know, well, if God is all-powerful and if God is all this and if God, and then the doubt came, God doesn't see me or maybe God's not even real. Maybe I'm just making all of this up. How do you think the enemy feels about that assignment? He feels like he's winning. He feels like he's taking ground. That is the, that's the enemy's intent. Um, the Lord, so... God responds to, let's see, Job, all the way up to Job 31, uh, Job makes his last plea of his innocence. He's like, I'm innocent. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why these bad things are happening. And sometimes we do this as well. We, we have a problem, and it's a real problem, real emotions, and we start making up reasons why we think either God's to blame or people are to blame, and we start coming up with this logical conclusion because for whatever reason, when we have an answer, it somehow helps. We have a really hard time not having the answer. You know, when a loved one dies prematurely or, you know, that cancer report, we try to make sense of it. Well, it's because I, was a, I really messed up as a high school. I was really sinning. Or in college, I did that one thing. See, God's just paying me back. That's, that's, and so we try to come up with a reason. And a lot of times, we start going down this road of blaming God. And it actually cripples us because when you start blaming God in your heart, a lot of times you don't even know you're doing it, but you've, you've started to withdraw yourself from God. You start withdrawing your trust. You start, start withdrawing um, just having a, a pure view of God, who he is. We sang songs like this morning, you know, you've never failed me yet. I got home when Judah died, and I, I didn't understand that song. What do you mean you've never failed me yet? Judah's dead. I try to bring, I try to come to a conclusion of like, God, I don't understand. The reality is God has never failed. He never has. Even though the circumstances around me, we live in a fallen, broken world and sin still has influence. But there's, there is that, that temptation to go down that dark road of blame. And, and God actually responds to Job in, towards the end of the book. And God says, the Lord, has, the Lord answered Job from a whirlwind, kind of like a tornado, and this is what God says. He says, who is this that questions my wisdom? 
with such ignorant words. Job is spending 35 chapters saying, God, I'm innocent. What's going on? God's saying, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? God's saying, God's saying, what I'm doing is wise. And sometimes the wisdom of God doesn't look wise to us. Sometimes the wisdom of God looks cruel. Sometimes the wisdom of God looks like he's nowhere to be found. Sometimes the wisdom of God is a dark valley. God wants, God desires for each one of us to grow. And it's hard to grow when you don't have a choice. When choices are removed from you, if everything were just penned out for you and you didn't have a choice and you just do as you're told, it's very hard to grow spiritually in that, in that way. So choices actually produce uh, the opportunity to grow. So when you're in that lowest valley, you're holding your, your loved one and you're saying goodbye, in that moment, what's your response? Anybody can praise God when you just got the lottery ticket and you're the winner. Anybody can praise God when, you know, you got a great inheritance or, you know, you have the perfect health or, you know, it's your wedding day or, you know, you just graduated with your doctorate. Anyone can praise God in those moments. But in the moments where it feels like God is to blame, God is to accuse, what do we do with that? And in those moments, those moments are, are all too familiar to Job. Job is sitting there and God's saying, Why are you questioning my wisdom? Who is this that questions my wisdom? What's the confusing side of it is that in Job chapter 1 verse 8, the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. I don't know about you, but God, don't don't refer my name to Satan. I'm good, you know? (laughs) I'm good. Like, God, you know, you know my heart, and we're good, so let's just kind of coast through, and let's just make it. That's, that's the way that I read it. But that's not God's wisdom. And I don't understand why. I don't understand Judah. I don't understand the process of Judah. But I do know that I'm growing, and I will not accuse God. I will not blame him for what happened. It's the wisdom of God. I don't understand it. God knows more than I do. That's why I I labeled this. I I wish I could say I had a lot of answers here. The next time, after the the servants, the livestock, everything's taken out, the kids have gone, have been taken. Satan then again goes to God. And the way that I see it is that Satan has his tail between his legs because he's like, man, I I couldn't break him. You know, so I, gotta, I better go back and I, I know what I'll get him with this time. Skin for skin. He starts saying, you know, God, God responds to Satan and says, have you noticed my servant Job? This is the second time. He says, he is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil and he has maintained his integrity. He's maintained his integrity. Even though you urge me to harm him without cause. I don't, have, I don't have the answer. I don't know why. But I know that God, this story, this, this, the outcome of this, and we'll see here in just a couple minutes that the outcome of this story is God led Job into testing, into a challenge. And Job had victory on the other side. Job got something through that process that he wouldn't have gotten had he not gone through it. And I don't, I don't want to suggest that God uses sickness and God uses cancer, and God takes people away to teach you a lesson. I'd never, I'd never say that. 
God's wisdom is greater than my ability to communicate his intents, intentions, but I do know that every, every valley, every dark, dark place that we find ourselves in life when we're alone, when we feel like no one's beside us, guaranteed God is with you. God is walking with you and he knows that. God, God knows that, that you have what it takes. God knows that he's with you and, and you don't have to be afraid. Even though you might, everything might feel like God is to blame and no one's with you. God's with you. And I just wanna, I wanna voice that today because I, all week I, I felt a, a heavy oppression, uh, a super heavy weight of, of de- depression, anxiety, fear, like anxiety, just feel like you're gonna die, feel like you're gonna be overwhelmed. And I believe that God actually wants to set captives free this morning from that. Uh, I've been praying for you from the moment that I've felt that. Um, I'm, I'm praying for myself, but I'm also praying for you. And, and every day I've been trying to pray. Uh, I don't believe that it's this moment that God's reserved for, for restoration. I believe that God wants you to be restored every moment, every second of every day. And so um, I'm gonna, we're going to believe together for that in just a little bit, but Job, Job started with sincere questions, but eventually they turned into accusations. The last thing that Job said about his innocence, the last thing before God responded, is basically what he said. He said, if only someone would listen to me. Look, I will, I will sign my name to my defense. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my accuser write out the charges against me. I would face the accusation proudly. I would wear it like a crown. So here, the enemy is getting pretty close to what he wanted. He wanted Job to blame God and to renounce God, to walk away and curse God. Job, I don't think he's there yet. I think he's in that place of, there's still the questions, there's the doubt. It's starting to borderline blame. But Job is starting to get bold. He's, he really believes there is no reason why I should be experiencing any of this because I'm a righteous person. I'm blameless. And it's funny how, it's not funny, it's sad that Job, Job's only logical conclusion is that God is the one right now, that he has all power, and yet, we're, why is this happening? And so, how do you think God feels when he, specifically for us in the room, how, how do you think God feels when he has revealed himself from cover to cover in the Bible, and he, he has revealed his nature all throughout scripture, and in the end, when a bad thing comes, we're like, God, how could you? It's like we, we, take his, we take his goodness and we lay it on the altar of reason and we say, God, how could you? And yet, all along throughout scripture, he has been working for the well-being of us. He's been working for the goodness on our behalf constantly. You weren't created so that you could make it through life, get married, have kids, and then just die and drift into eternity. You were made with purpose, an intentional purpose. And if, if that's true, then God's way more involved than we realize. Sometimes I think we praise some of the old prophets and the great kings and the apostles way more than we should. Because right now, Scripture says that they're actually cheering us on. We're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. It says that we're, they're cheering us on. All of heaven is looking to you. All of heaven says, I wonder what the next choice they're going to make is today. Will it be a thought that, entertain, that is entertained in, in the enemy's head? These thoughts that Job is starting to have? 
The enemy already had them, and that's where he's getting them from. He's starting to actually be influenced by the enemy and his intentions. All of heaven, all of heaven cheers you on and believes that we're going to come through. We don't, we don't have all the answers, but God does. Job chapter 40, verse 8, God responds to Job, and he says, Will you discredit my justice and condemn me just to prove that you're right? Just to prove, just to get an answer? Just to, be, just to have uh, some conclusion or some closure to your um, circumstance? God's saying, don't discredit my justice. I find it interesting that God actually calls Job blameless and righteous, but God knew that Job would blame him. That's how much of an advocate God is towards us. He's constantly speaking to the man or woman that's holding the gold trophy at the end. He's saying, Job is blameless. That's how I see him. And so when Job starts to drift into this blame game a little bit, and he responds, will you discredit my justice and condemn me just to prove you're right? Sometimes God knows more than I do. Right? Like all the time? Sometimes we act like he doesn't. Sometimes we act like it's just moments that he does. When everything around us is going right, that's when God, it seems like God hasn't figured out. We use phrases like, man, God's been good to me lately. God's been good to us because we're created. He believes in us. He believes that we're a good fit for heaven. That at the end of our life, he's gonna say, well done. It says that we're his masterpiece. It says that we have purpose and intention, authority and value. He would not have created you just to stumble through life, to get beat by whatever you're getting beat by and die. That's not his intention. That's not his design. So what do we got to do? What's the, what's the response here? What, what we got to do in these moments is really what God was doing for Job. God was saying, this is what, this is what actually um, God, God did for Job. God actually started reminding him of who he was. And sometimes we gotta do this too. It's hard for us because we're like, I just look at the circumstances and this is a bad deal. But God's like, look at what I've done. Look at me revealed already. If, you know, Jesus said, if you don't, if you don't believe me based on my words, just look at the miracles that I'm doing in my Father's name. Believe by the miracles at least. But for us, we have both the miracles, we have the story, we have everything that we need to see God for who he really is. And so that's what God actually starts doing for Job. And, and he asks Job, he's like, where were you? Job 38, 4 says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. You know, we might think of that as like, I mean, God is reprimanding Job, but it's reprimanding in love. He's saying, Job, don't you get it? I was there. I was there at the beginning. And I, I knew what's going to happen to you. Why are you... Why are you blaming me? Why do you think that I'm, I'm this, uh, this mean God that's doing all this? Job 40, 15 says, uh, take a look at the, yes, behemoth, behemoth, there it is. Take a look at the behemoth which I made, just as I made you. Its bones are tubes of bronze. Its limbs are bars of iron. It's a prime example of God's handiwork and only its creator can threaten it. Can you catch the Leviathan with the hook or put a, a noose around its jaw? The tremendous strength in Leviathan's neck strikes terror wherever it goes. Its flesh is hard and firm, can, cannot be penetrated. Its heart is hard as rock, hard, hard as a millstone. 
No, it is useless to try to capture it. The hunter who attempts it will be knocked down. And since no one dares to disturb it, who then can stand up to me? These, these creatures, uh, the, the Leviathan, the bee, behemoth, behemoth, I would, the intonation is just kind of, those creatures are massive. And could they be dinosaurs? Potentially. Could they be just made up? Potentially. But God is describing animals that have so much power that it would be crazy to ever try to tame them. And he's saying, I made those, and I can treat them like a little pet. Can you do that? You know? And, and he's just saying, like, I have all this power. I'm in control. I'm not threatened by the enemy. A good way to look at the enemy, by the way, is he is a limb from a tree that's been cut off. He might still be a little green, but he is dead. He just doesn't know it yet. He has influence. He does have influence. But he is dead. He has been won. God has won. He's been defeated. Job responds to God at the end of all this. God, Job responds to God after Job starts thinking about who God is. And he says this. He says, I have only heard about you before, but now I've seen you with my own eyes. I can take everything I said back, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Sometimes we need to encounter God again so that it produces life transformation, so it actually produces some sort of change. If you're not seeing the face of God, God wants you to see his face. You might think, well, you know, if you, know, if you see the face of God, no man shall surely live and see the face of God. How that verse goes. God wants you, the, the Hebrew word for presence of God in the Old Testament, the presence of God passed before Moses, is actually the word face, the presence of God. God wants us to come into the temple Remember in the Old Testament, you could only come in so far? Well, in the New Testament, when God died, when Jesus died, the, the curtain actually tore down the middle and we had access to the presence. That's, he wants us to see his face and when you see him, when you behold him, when you have connection to him, it starts transforming you. It actually helps you to think straight again. Sometimes the, the things that we say in times of tragedy and devastation are all we can do now is pray, you know, you know, the, the Bible is one of the last places we turn sometimes in the, in the middle of, of devastation or betrayal or sadness. Sometimes the first place we turn is friends. Hey, you know what they said about me? Oh, I can't believe that they would do that to me. Oh, my goodness, I'm in so much pain and so much sorrow. God wants us to turn to him and remember who he is so that it helps us think straight. It realigns what, what's his intentions in his heart. God knows more than I do. And if you look towards what he's already done, you're going to know, it's going to just straighten you out, realign you, recalibrate where you're heading in life. And so this is a challenge, I think, I mean, obviously for all of us in that, where do you turn? Where do you look? I mean, you open the Bible and where do you, just start reciting what God is, what the, the big God story, what's the intent God bringing people back to himself. He wants relationship with us. He's not working against you. A kingdom you know, that's divided can't stand. God would never mess with you so that you fail. He's trying to, every, if you find yourself, if, you, if God is testing you, it's because he knows that you're ready to face that test. The enemy was the one that was really testing Job in this. He says, well, you can go and test him 
much as you want. Go and do what you, what you have. That's why, you know, God responds and he tells Satan and he goes, you know, you, you're the one here is pushing me to do this. The, the accuser. He's like, you're coming in here and you want me to do this to, to Job. But at the beginning, God actually tells Job, whatever you want to do, go and do. Because I believe the same way that he asked Abraham, Abraham, take your son, sacrifice him. And Abraham says, okay. Same way that the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I believe that God, God leads Job in a way that, you know what? No matter what, Job, God, God um, equipped Job for this moment. And I, what's amazing is that Job's wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? But Job's wife inherited Job's blessing because Job kept, he, he had questions, it was turning into doubt, it was turning into blame, but then God showed him who he was. Wow, I covered my mouth, I was wrong. I take back everything I said. I sit in ashes and I humble myself. God says, okay, Next thing I need you to do, I need you to go pray for your friends, the ones that have said it's been hidden sin that why all these bad things are happening to you. It's amazing how we always come back to forgiveness, offense. So Job is in pain. He's not healed. Boils. He's as low as you can get still. No, no children. And he just, he lifts up a sacrifice again. He says, God, we were ignorant. We were all ignorant about you but please forgive my friends just as you've forgiven me. And when he did that, scripture says, that's when God healed him, gave his, literally gave his wife, the one who in her heart wanted to curse God, gave her uh, more children, seven more kids, three more, th- three more girls, restored, doubled the livestock. Forgiveness, there's so much tied to forgiveness in our hearts. We cannot let offense towards God or offense towards others cripple us in this Christian walk and those are so prevalent in our lives because you don't have to look very hard to find deep valleys and dark places in our life. They just seem to find us. God knows more than I do. God knows more than you do. He really does. But I promise you he's working all things out for your well-being. He's not, he's not messing with you. He wants to grow you. He wants to lead you in those places. So what I want to do, um, I, I didn't ask Christy, but Christy, if you could just come back up and um, we're going to, I want to sing uh, Do It Again. Um, if that's probably just how that song starts, you know, I've been walking around these walls referring to Jericho and how like, man, we're walking around these walls and nothing seems to be happening. What's, what's your valley? What's your dark place right now? Is it addictions? Is it the battle for the soul? Fear? Sadness? Anxiety? Is it, is it those shameful acts you don't even want to talk about? That was me growing up, man. I, I could not kick certain addictions. Is it the lo- the, just bad news, bad reports? Or is it God just not showing up? You've been doing all the right things and it seems like, God, where are you? What's, what's your issue right now? And, and what I want to specifically pray for, 
is those who are, are battling um, issues with the soul, issues of depression, anxiety, addictions, fear, betrayal, anything that is internal that you, it's really hard to let out. I mean, we'll always pray for um, physical ailments, but if you have an issue with your mind, with your soul, you feel like either you're alone or you feel like, man, I, I just can't kick something. Or um, I specifically want to pray for you this morning. And, I, and the way that I want to do it is if we would pray for each other. So um, let me just, let me just um, do, make this easy. Um, every single one of us has something in our soul that we need help with. Every single one of us. We all have questions. Because If you're older than you know, 20 years old, if you're older than 15 most times, you have issues that are internal. But if, if you feel like you actually, you want to respond, if Jesus were here and he was saying, hey, I'll, I'll alleviate, I'll respond, I'll intervene in this moment, and, and you, you just feel like, man, I need help, I want, you to, I want you to just raise your hand. I don't want you to stand. Just raise your hand and say, I have issues in my soul that I need breakthrough in. Okay? I want to pray from, I mean, I'm raising my hands too. So what I want to do is, I, I fully believe God's actually going to start breaking off some of these things today. Uh, I just, I, I was really experiencing just a heavy, heavy week and um, prayed and cried. And I really believe that there's something going on in this room spiritually. We don't fight against flesh and blood. It's all right. So this is what I want to do. If you just raise your hand, again, if you have issues with the soul, and I just want the body just to um, pray with each other. Just find someone that has their hand up. You don't even have to talk directly to them or say, hey, what's going on? All you have to do is put your hand on them and just start praying for them. So as Christy leads us, I would encourage you more than to sing the song to actually pray for someone with their hand up. So go ahead and raise your hand. This is just kind of a... I have my hand raised too if somebody wants to pray for me, but go ahead and just go ahead and move, stand up. Go ahead and stand up, guys. This is how we're gonna end. Yep, everyone just go ahead and stand up. That's what we're gonna do. Awesome. All right, now go find something right right now. Just start moving with their hand up. If you are not praying for someone and you see a hand up, please make your way towards them as soon as possible.
of, Lord, we are no longer slaves of the fear of man, but Lord, we are sons and daughters of you, Lord. Jesus, we we trade our sorrows for joy. God, we, we absolutely commit, we resolve, God, that today is the day that even though I feel the storm, even though I feel the realities of the enemy shooting his arrows towards us and causing us to doubt and to wonder, God, I pray that today will be the day that we put a stake in the ground that says, God, you're not to blame. You're not the one to blame, God. Lord, you're working for my well-being. And Lord, we thank you that you're working for us, that you will love us, that you're in a relationship with us, Father. So God, we just join together in unity, corporate unity as, as your body, as your bride, Father. Lord, we agree for the person on our right and the person on our left. 
we believe, God, for their breakthrough. That, that God, even as they're waiting for that breakthrough, whether it's a healing, whether it's a, a loved one that needs to come to you, Father, whatever they're waiting on, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you give them strength, endurance, that you give them peace and joy. Lord, that you guard them and protect them, God. Thank you, God, that you invite our questions. Lord, that you invite even those those times where we we can't even handle our own emotions, so we just vent. You can handle that. You're strong enough, God. Give us the strength to keep our eyes fixed on your intentions already written out The fact that, Lord, you're good. You're really, really good, God. We just got word that three teenagers from Woonsocket um, were killed in a car accident last night. And uh, from two different families, 14-year-old, I think a 12-year-old, and another uh, real, right right there at the same age. And I I just want, as a body, I want to agree for our neighboring city you just extend your hand towards wound socket Jesus God in in the valley losing loved ones God Lord we just pray that this family Lord these families involved Lord would just feel your peace because your bride's lifting them up Lord these aren't our kids but if they were our kids we would cry out so that's why we cry out, God, for them. Because they're somebody else's children, God. And we want to see these families restored. Lord, we bless them. And we say, Jesus, would you give them the strength and the peace to be with them? In Jesus' name, Father. And all the questions and all the wonderings and all the doubts and all the tears, God. Would you please intervene? Please bring the peace and the joy that they need in this moment, God. We love you, Father. We love you. If you would like to pray, continue, or if you need prayer, or if you want to voice something that sometimes there's just an incredible power that will a grace that will come on your life when you voice the issues that you're dealing with. And if you would like to do that, we're going to stay up here and pray a little longer. Um, But if you need to get going, we bless you. We hope you have a great week. And we stand with you uh, through every victory, through every battle, through every loss. We stand with you and we cheer you on. So thanks so much for being here this week. And God bless you as you go.